0: Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Put out another podcast and you're listening to it. And once again, this is working our way through the book of Romans and talking about the most important things in life, the Christian faith. Romans has really just been a joy for me to, to work through, preach through. Unfortunately, as I've told uh, the people at the Nowata church here, I actually do my best preaching in Delaware. I go to Delaware every Sunday morning and give my first sermon there and then come and preach on the exact same passage here in NOAA. I'm not tired, I'm not bored, but for some reason it often lacks the same oomph that I get in Delaware, so I don't, I don't know what that is. I sure am sorry I don't summon the very best of myself for these, but I'm still quite proud of, of what insights the Lord gives me to, to open up the Scriptures to you and to the people here. Just want to ask you to continue being in prayer for the church. Here we are uh, in the midst of a lot of tumult in the United Methodist Church denomination. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future, but we have a wonderful, faithful group of people here who just want to know, follow God's Word. And uh, this week's preaching uh, subject is no exception to that. Our calling is to conform our lives to the Word of God and to uh, the plain instructions we have there. So I pray that you would be blessed in clarity and understanding and discernment as you meditate on these scriptures with us. God bless you okay this morning we are in romans chapter 10 which you can find on page one seven five eight i'm gonna go ahead and apologize there's no way i'm gonna preach as good on this as i did in delaware it was awesome in delaware i don't know what happened you would think that i would like get things polished off and do better here in No Water than I do. That's hardly ever how it works out. My first sermon is almost always better, and that is not intentional on my part. I love you guys just as much, but uh, if you're ever just wanting a better sermon than you usually get, wake up a bit earlier and drive over to Delaware, pretty, yeah, God's been good. It's still going to be good because we're in his holy word, Amen? amen? Let's remind ourselves, if something is in this book is it required and necessary and essential if if something is not in this book is it required essential or necessary no for some reason you guys have a harder time with that one each week there's a lot of people who want to add to the canon they want to say well you really should read this book or this no there's only one book you have to read to be saved to know like the back of your hand it's this book so if it's in this book is it important to understand well, what if, what if I don't like it? Do I still have to understand it? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that was an easy one. Uh, what if it's really hard for me? Do I still have to understand it? Yes. yes. Okay, so that's why we're doing Romans. Romans is a book that's hard to understand, but it's essential to understand because it's in the Bible, okay? And, and all of our theology, not all, most of our theology as Christians is built on concepts that are in this book so we've talked about the doctrine of the fall and original sin the fact that we're all born in sin because of what adam and eve did we have talked about our depravity the fact that we are born enslaved to sin and of our own free will we cannot turn to god we've talked about god's grace how he extends it to all of us despite our unworthiness and extends salvation to all of us we've talked about the essential nature of repentance we've talked about covenant all these things we've laid a firm foundation in and if you've missed out on any sundays you can get on facebook or youtube we've got it all on there and you can go back and you can walk through all of romans up till now we're in chapter 10 there's 16 chapters a big part of this book has been concerned with who makes it is it just jews or gentiles too are jews ahead of the gentiles does god like them more or does he like us all the same and the answer is that god likes us all the same we're all born estranged from him jew and Gentile alike. They are given some blessings that we are not. The law is a blessing. It's perfectly good. But the thing is, it brings out the badness in us, the law, the Old Testament. It shows how good God is and how good he calls us to be, and we can't be that good. And I'm going to present a metaphor right now that I haven't presented before. It's a metaphor of a scab, all right? And I know none of you are guilty of this, but there are some people who are scab pickers, right? Yeah, I know, Mike. It's gross. I'm sorry. But the thing is, the reason people pick scabs, there's some weird psychological thing. You're feeling on it, and you're going, I don't like this rough, hard thing on my skin. I'm going to pick it off. And then, yes, your skin is, is soft again for a bit, but it's also raw, and the scab is going to grow back. And what's going to happen if you continue to pick that scab? It's going to grow. If you leave it alone, it'll eventually scar. If you don't leave it alone, it'll eventually get infected, and it can kill you it will kill you if you continue to yes you will get infected you will die from an infection most people finally cut it out the thing is this is what sin is like dealing with sin is like when you have not died and been born again in christ jesus this is what the jews did they were given this prescription for holy living and they would find bad things in themselves and they would pick it off but the thing is they weren't dealing with the underlying problem And it would metastasize and get worse and worse and eventually kill them. Because the wages of sin is? They could not cure sin. Sin could not be cured. It could only be covered over. And that's why Jesus said, he condemned the Pharisees. He said, oh, you clean the outside of the cup, but in the inside it's still dirty and disgusting, right? He said, you're only concerned with this outward observance. You're not concerned with the the conversion of the heart. Because they couldn't be converted in the heart because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about that. I'm sorry, I should have brought it up when it actually comes up in here. Let's look at chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So you remember in chapter 9 last week, he was talking about the fact that, uh, that most of the Jews had not received Jesus as Messiah. They should have known him, who he was. For some reason, they're rejecting him. He eventually says it's because he thinks God has blinded them so that the fullness of the nations, the Gentiles non-jews could come in and then the the jews will believe i i happen to believe that i i don't think jews are evil i think jews have been blinded for a time i think one day they will turn and see jesus as the messiah verse 2 for i can testify about them that they are zealous for god is it good to be zealous for god absolutely to be passionate for god we're called to be zealots what's the problem then if they're zealous for god their zeal is not based on knowledge. Is knowledge important? Absolutely. In our language, we have a saying, knowledge is power, right? There's, such a, good th- there's a, such a thing as good power. Verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness of God. talking about the Jews. They didn't know the righteousness of God, and they sought to establish their own. So they're ignorant about God's righteousness, and then they are self-righteous. I know none of us here is ever guilty of this, but have you ever known anyone who's self-righteous? You got to guard against that. We are not good. On our own, we are nothing. We are deserving of nothing good. It's Christ's righteousness in me. It's his righteousness in me. It's not my righteousness. They did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their, their own. They did, not to sub, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Is submission important? Can you be a faithful Christian and not submit? No, you know you can't. Submission is hard. Submission is so hard. And we're told not just to submit to God, but in Ephesians chapter 5, you remember, it tells us to submit to one another. Actually, that's chapter 4, I'm pretty sure. The Christian life is supposed to be marked with submission. Submission to God's righteousness here. Verse 4, Christ is the culmination of the law. So is the law bad? No, it points towards Jesus. He's the fulfillment of it. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So should all Christians be righteous? Absolutely. If we're not growing in righteousness, what are we doing here? What's the point of this? The Christian faith is for those who have grown sick and tired of sin, who hate themselves and their lives and want to live for Christ Jesus, who want the freedom of righteousness in him. Verse 5, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is led by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. That's true. Dennis Prager, he's a modern Jewish thinker. I like, he, he does Prager U. he does these educational videos for understanding different ideologies and what's going on in the world. But he's a Jew and he was talking this week on a video I was watching. He says, I've talked with Christians about the fundamental difference between Christianity and Judaism. And he says, I think it is that Jews, we believe that we can earn our salvation. We have been taught what God wants in his law, and we can do it. Christians are all about this righteousness of Jesus and not, and not their own. And he says, we Jews are not like that. And I thought, wow, what an earnest reflection from a Jew. Yeah, that is the fundamental difference. The person who does these things will live by them. That means works righteousness. That means that Jews take confidence in their own works. Christians, we don't take confidence in our own works. We take confidence in Christ. Now... Are we judged by our works? Yes. Later on in Romans and Revelation, it says straight up, we are judged on our works. But the thing is, we cannot do any works that are good and pleasing to God until we die to ourselves and are born again in Christ Jesus. All our good works are filthy rags to God until we die to ourselves and experience the new birth. Until we are justified in Christ. There's a lot of language you can use, but the thing is, are you trusting in yourself or are you trusting in Christ Jesus? That's the dividing line here, and it's saying... The Jews are off base because they trust in themselves and not in the righteousness of God. Verse 6. But the righteousness that is by faith says, so this is not righteousness of the law. This is righteousness of faith. This is a good righteousness. Do not say in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith we proclaim. What is that faith? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A lot of people have that memorized, but they don't know what comes before it and afterwards. And those are important parts. But we need to explain this part that began in verse 6. But the righteous, that is by faith, says, do not say in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? What on earth is this about? You'll see that it has a little citation there to Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 12 so you can flip back there with me if you want but i'm gonna i'm gonna go i'm gonna read this to you because a lot of people don't realize how much of the old testament is in the new testament deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 12 it's on page 319 i think no 320 begins in verse 11 this is moses last will and testament to them now what i'm commanding you the whole book is this is one section of it Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. That's pretty close to what Paul said here. He's clearly quoting from Deuteronomy. And once again, he said, the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who shall ascend into heaven. And then here's his commentary. That is to bring Christ down. Where is Christ right now? In heaven at the right hand of God, right? So here it's talking about this part in Deuteronomy where Moses is talking to people. He's saying, God has told you through his word what he expects of you. You don't need to go up to heaven to find it. You don't need to go across the sea to find it. God has given it to you. The word is in your mouth and in your heart. That's what it said in Deuteronomy. Now he's saying it again. You don't need to go up to heaven and to ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want from us? You don't need to go down to the realm of the dead. Uh, when Jesus died, he descended to the dead, right? That's, that's a historic Christian belief. We believe that part of Christ is in the realm of the dead now, ministering to the saints of the ages. We don't need to go up to heaven to get Jesus and bring him down. We don't need to go down to the realm of the dead to bring Jesus up. We already have his word. We've received his word. I see versions of the same meme passing around online all the time. Someone going, what do you want from me, God? And God reaching down from heaven with a Bible and saying, I've told you. (laughs) If you want to know what God wants from you, read your Bible. If you want to know who God is, read your Bible. If you want to know what he expects from you, read your Bible. The knowledge has been given. You have been given the key to the test, the answer key. You know how in you'll take a test in school and the teacher will just have a key and grade it? We've been given the key. We've been told exactly what God expects of us. And yet, how many people don't even read their Bibles? They have no idea who God is or what He expects of them. I was talking to a guy in jail this last week. He said, oh, I pray to God every day. I said, which God? He said, well, the God of uh, Jesus. I said, who is that God? How do you know? You're not even reading your Bible. You can't tell me who that God is. He got sheepish. He was like, you're right. And everybody knows I'm right. You don't know the God you're praying to if you're not reading your Bible. If you don't know your Bible like the back of your hand, you're just praying to some God who's a stranger to you. We have not been told to follow a God who's a stranger to us. He is our loving Father in heaven. He has adopted us into his family. Jesus said, from now on, I do not call you servants. I call you friends. We've been brought into intimate relationship with the Father and yet we don't want to know Him. So silly. We feel like we're strangers from God. We don't know what He wants. Oh, what does God want from me? Paul says, you don't need to go up to heaven to find out. You don't need to go down to the dead to find out. The Word is in you. What does it say? The Word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. What is that? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? Boss. How hard is it to say Jesus is Lord? This is not a magical incantation. It's not, say the magical incantation and you're saved. Say, Jesus is Lord. Move your mouth. Jesus is Lord. Okay, you're saved. Now you're going to heaven. That's not how this works. When you say Jesus is Lord, that means something. And if you're lying, which most people are when they say it, if, you, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is the boss of your life, then who is not the boss of your life? You. Y'all got it right. Delaware's like, uh, Satan? Satan, is, Satan wants to be the boss of your life, true. Other people want to be the boss of your life, true. But the number one enemy you have is yourself. Every day you wake up with your own will, your own thoughts, the own th- things that seem right to you. That's all garbage. You have a Lord who has told you what is right, whether or not it feels right to you. Whether or not it looks right to you. God, if he is your Lord, if you say Jesus is Lord, if he is your Lord, then you hear what he said and you do it. And that's as complicated as it gets. You hear what he said not to do and you don't do it. And that's as as complicated as it gets. Well, what if I really want to do it? Doesn't matter. Well, what if it seems really right to me? It doesn't matter. If he is your Lord, then you do what he says rather than what you want. Is what I'm saying complicated? This is very simple. A lot of people want to complicate it so that they don't have to listen to it. I'm saying it's so simple now, you can't deny it, can you? I will pin you down. I will not literally pin you down. We have to understand this. If we say that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, why is that important? As he explains in 1 Corinthians, if God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, he will raise your mortal bodies as well, right? So when we confess that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we also confess that God will raise us from the dead as well. That's the God we serve. He will redeem even these awful mortal bodies. He will make them heavenly glorious bodies like Jesus. So what it's saying here, it's not saying say the magic words and believe that this superstition happened a long time ago. That's how most people read it. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you give up on yourself. Christ is your boss. You don't do what's right in your eyes anymore. And you fully anticipate that God will raise your mortal body from the dead on the day of judgment. Verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So what if I have faith and I don't profess it with my mouth? Do I have faith? It just here said very clearly, if you have faith, you profess it with your mouth. I passed a thing around this last week. I think it was Burke Parsons, a pastor, said... We talk about what we love, don't we? I love my kids. I talk about them all the time. Some people love their sports team. They talk about it all the time. Some people love their job. They talk about it. Some people love their girlfriend, boyfriend. They talk about them. We say we love Jesus most of all. He has the preeminent place in our lives. And yet, how many of us are talking about Jesus with everybody we know? Not in some kind of trite, formulaic way. But when you love somebody, you talk about them, don't you? We supposedly love Jesus. Why don't we talk about him? As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That doesn't mean that people aren't going to try and shame us. That means that God will never forsake us. Verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord, Lord means boss or master. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So does God play favorites? No. We're told in several places in the scriptures, God plays no favoritism. He has no favorites. All people have been invited to be saved. All people have been extended the offer of Christ Jesus' blood applied to their hearts in justification. There is no reason why anyone needs to be condemned other than their own rebellious hearts. But we do not believe in limited atonement in the Methodist church. I know that's a confession of a lot of Reformed churches. They just say the blood of Jesus is is not enough to atone for all the sins of the world. I don't know that they always say it like that. We would confess not everybody is going to be saved, but we would say what happened on the cross is enough to save all people. There's 8 billion people on earth right now. God could save them a million times over and more with the blood of Jesus. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How does that make sense? Can you call on somebody... That you don't believe in. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can you believe? Can I know of somebody I've never met or even heard about? No, that doesn't make any sense. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Can you know something without someone telling you about it? Do you just magically know things? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring... Good news. So here's another doctrine. Can people be saved without knowledge and love of Christ Jesus? You have to to believe that they cannot. Otherwise, what are we doing here? We're doing something entirely unnecessary, aren't we? If people can be saved without Jesus, this is unnecessary. Why on earth would we make Jesus the center of our lives... If he is not necessary to salvation, don't you know how divisive Jesus is? It is completely unnecessary to get together and be Christians, follow Jesus, preach what he taught. If we can be saved without Jesus, we're doing something very, it's a waste of time. This is the most important thing because without it, you cannot be saved. And if you love others, you want them to be saved as well, do you not? Even if you hate others... Still, how many people do you wish eternal damnation upon? You must have some hate in your heart that I don't. I got some people I really don't like very much. I do not want them to be condemned forever. I get that clarity. There's only salvation to be found in Christ Jesus. I have to make sure they know. And there is no way for them to know if I do not tell them. If someone doesn't tell them. Do you all understand what he's saying here? Does it sound like what I'm saying is the same thing he's saying here? I'm going to say it again. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? This is verse 14. How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they hear uh, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? So let me ask you, are you and I sent to preach good news to those who don't know it? Every single one of us is. Yes, I'm the one at the head of this congregation But you have been given this treasure in clay jars to save others. The faith you have is the same faith I have, is the same faith that Christians have had for thousands of years. And it is enough to save the whole world. But it is not going to save them if we do not tell them. That makes no sense. It makes no sense. It doesn't work. Verse 16, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. So he's returning to this question of, are the Jews preferred before Gentiles? No. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now let's be clear, Christ is the word made flesh, right? So does that mean that the Bible is not the word? Susanna knows this is the word, and Jesus is the word made flesh. But that doesn't mean he's the only, some people don't like what's in here, and they say, I don't worship the Bible, I worship Jesus. Well, tell me about the Jesus you serve without this. How do you even know about Jesus without this? Then it's just secondhand, it's he said, she said. You just get to make up your own Jesus. And that's what you often find from people who say that sort of thing. They worship their own version of Jesus, who cares what's in here. Jesus, the historical figure who came, the Word made flesh, is exactly the same in nature, personality, substance, character as what we find in the Bible. It's a one-to-one correspondence. He did not say a single thing that doesn't fit in here. There's nothing in here that goes against Jesus. We don't worship the Bible, but we appreciate the Bible, we listen to the Bible, we consult the Bible because it's only through the Bible that we can be connected to our Savior. Now, that's not exactly right because it's the Holy Spirit that connects us to our Savior. But it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to understand what's in the Bible. You'll find some of the smartest people in the world do not understand what's in the Bible. And it's because the Holy Spirit is not in them. And meanwhile, you'll find some of the dumbest podunk people in the world have been converted to the very image of Christ Jesus because they've been given his Holy Spirit. God is with them every day. Um, I think we're in verse 18, right? But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. It's talking about the Jews here. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. He's saying in the Old Testament, God told them that he was going to save the Gentiles too. That because they were rebellious and disobedient, he was going to save everybody, not just them. He wasn't going to play favorites anymore. Verse 20, and Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. He's talking about the Gentiles here, non-Jews. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So that's the end of our scripture reading for today. And it ends in a, uh, an upset place with the Jews because they were not receiving Christ as the Messiah and our job as Christians is not together get together and go, oh, weren't those Jews so awful? Oh, we're so glad we're not like those Jews. The thing we need to do is examine our lives and go, how am I acting like a Jew? How am I taking comfort in my own righteousness rather than God's? How am I feeling like I'm special and that God's law is not going to apply to me the same as everybody else's? That's the sort of thing we need to be asking as we're reflecting on our faith. We need to have that humility that doesn't trust in ourselves, that doesn't trust in this world, that only trusts in Christ Jesus and his righteousness. So on the last day, we're not appearing going, God, I'm good enough to get in. Look at these good things that I did. If you do that, you're not going to make it in. The only thing that purchases your entry into Christ's kingdom is his righteousness in you. Come Holy Spirit, make us holy as Christ is holy. Amen.